Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Thursday, November 4th. Hope everyone is doing well. Come up, a lot of talk about on the podcast today. Do college football rankings that came out earlier this week. The first batch of the rankings for the playoff in this 2021 season. And then at the end, talking to my friend J.R. Bascom about the best show on TV, Succession. So if you haven't watched the new episode or if you don't watch Succession, uh, pause it. You know, uh, don't want that. It's very spoiler heavy. And highly encourage everyone to watch that show on HBO. It is it is tre- tremendous, tremendous TV. But the rankings are out, the first college football playoff rankings, and they were a doozy. Georgia number one, Bama two, Michigan State number three after their big win over Michigan this this past weekend, a really great win for, for, for the Sparty program. Oregon at four. And then Ohio State at five and Cincinnati at six. Now, this caused huge, huge controversy as Cincinnati not in the top four, undefeated, out out on the outside looking in, and especially on the outside looking in behind Ohio State, who has a loss and Cincinnati being undefeated. And look, there is I'm a I'm a believer that the group of five should get a chance in the playoff. They um, have not gotten any chances yet so far. And this Cincinnati team is, is really good. So the playoff committee has has basically said that for the group of five to have a chance to get in, that they have to beat Power 5 teams and beat them on the road, and that strength of schedule really matters. And so that's what Cincinnati did. They, they beat Indiana on the road, and they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And... The problem is, if you're going to be in a conference, there are only so many Power 5 games you can play when you are a non-Power 5 school. So Notre Dame and BYU, in their schedule, can play as many Power 5 teams as they want because they are football independents. Cincinnati doesn't have that that luxury. So Cincinnati being at 6 really shows that the only way that they can get in is if Oregon loses again, if Ohio State loses again, and if Alabama loses again. And that is a sort of depressing reality um, for college football fans is that we're we're going to get, it seems like, if, especially if Oklahoma being undefeated, even though they're ranked eighth, if they're undefeated and, and, and win the Big 12, they'll, they'll move up. Um, that will get three heavyweights again who are seemingly in the playoff every year of Bama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. And we could people could talk about is that good for the sport? Is is that not good for the sport? It something needs to change if basically for ninety percent of the teams in college football, it doesn't matter what you do when the games are being played because you don't have as much talent in the 24-7 sports composite as Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Like, the games need to matter. And Cincinnati has proven this year that they are a really good team. They have a good quarterback. They have a great coach. And they have a strong team and a great win on the road at Notre Dame. And them being behind Ohio State, who lost to Oregon at home, 
and it wasn't like on a miracle play. They kind of got crushed, uh, maybe not crushed, but handily beaten. That Ohio State being five is is kind of crazy. Um, I would have put Ohio State at six and Cincinnati at five. I don't have a problem with the top four. The top four looks good to me. The Oregon win over Ohio State is a huge, huge win. I guess we're just ignoring their loss at Stanford. But if you look at Ohio State's schedule, they have some big, big games coming up. But you know they struggled against Minnesota week one, even though they ended up winning by 14. Lose to Lose to Oregon at home. But then they get to play Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland three games in a row. They destroyed. I mean, they they won those games, each of them by like 40, 50 points each. And then they get to go to to Indiana and crushed Indiana. And then they beat Ohio. And then they beat Penn State at home. Well, Penn State is solid. That's a big win. So if Ohio State's best win is against an unranked Penn State team or a or a back end top twenty five team, but Cincinnati's best win is the is number ten Notre Dame on the road and and Ohio State's best loss to another top ten team. I think Cincinnati should be ahead of Ohio State in this in this first ranking. Obviously, a lot can change, including Michigan State and Ohio State are going to play. They're going to play November 20th. Michigan and Ohio State are going to play. Michigan number seven. Ohio State theoretically could be a three-loss team going into the end of the season and their bowl game. Or they could be a one-loss team heading into the conference championship, which I think a lot of people think that they will be. But the Big Ten is a gauntlet. Iowa has completely fallen apart after being ranked as high as two. But Michigan State is... And their running game is seriously for real. Kenneth Walker is an unbelievable running back. Scored five touchdowns against Michigan. I'm totally okay with them being ranked third. Makes a lot of sense. They've had a great season so far. Beating Michigan was absolutely huge. Yes, you know, they they were at home, but a really, really big win for them. A top 10 win. Um, There's only so many teams that, that can say they have a top 10 win. And they beat Miami. That probably helps with reputation more than how good Miami actually is. But, you know, Michigan State's been playing really, really well. Then you get to the top two, Georgia-Bama, the two teams that everyone says are the two best teams in college football. I tend to agree. Georgia is loaded, 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 especially on defense. They are been really, really impressive. But Georgia, if you look at them, they, coming into the season, they this Clemson game was circled. Like you couldn't believe. And now what was thought as after week one, the best win potentially any team could have all season is now looking more and more like a like a not so great win. You know, it's a good win, Clemson very good, but ten to three a very, very small margin of victory over a just okay Clemson team. But they crushed Auburn, which was a which was a great win. Uh, especially doing it on the road, thirty-four to ten, they beat Kentucky. You know, I don't think Florida's that good, so, so they crush Florida. But Georgia, Georgia being number one, the path is there to the SEC championship. But if they lose to to Alabama, yes, their their win over Auburn is big. But Auburn could could drop 
another game or two. The SEC is just that loaded. Are we going to look at a scenario where in the SEC championship, Bama, Georgia, the loser of that game does does not get in? Because it seems like Georgia and Bama are going to stay one and two until it feels like they inevitably meet in that conference championship game. That could be a huge matchup because if, if, if a two-loss Bama team gets into the playoff ahead of undefeated Oklahoma, Big 12 champion, undefeated Cincinnati, that may cause the most crazy Twitter debate and conversation of blowing up this entire college ball playoff thing that, that we do. Because then it wouldn't be a playoff. It would be an, an an invitational, which is what it really is. They just call it a playoff. But the idea that, yes, Bama probably would beat 90%, 99% of the teams in college football and not just beat them, crush them. But the games have to matter. They have to matter. And being a potentially two-loss team should not give you a playoff spot. And them being at two right now shows that, hey, they think they're the second best team in the country. If they lose to the best team in the country, how far are they really going to drop? Um, even though I think Bama's better than than Georgia, again, the games have to mean something. And for all the people out there who are saying, and I saw Colin Coward say this, that, all right, well, if Bama and Cincinnati played, Bama would be a 20-point favorite. Bama has better players. Bama has the better coach. They recruit better. That's fine. Oregon was a two-touchdown underdog at Ohio State, beat them. Bama's lost this year to, to Texas A&M on the road. They were heavy, heavy favorites, 15, 20 points. And then also, throughout history, the the the, the upsets that, that we love and that we cherish as fans, they were all underdogs. The 2007 Patriots had a better quarterback, better coach, better team than the 2007 Giants. Giants won the game. The 1980 hockey, you know, the Soviets had better players, better coach, more history. The Americans won. Like, these iconic moments in in sport happen when you just let them play, when you let the games matter and you put these two teams who are deserving against each other. You know, Georgia in, in Cincinnati played. Yeah, I think Georgia would probably win. But that doesn't mean Cincinnati shouldn't get the chance to play and prove it because the algorithm online on someone's computer to do the betting spread um, says that there's a whatever percent chance that Cincinnati can win this game or cover this game. That shouldn't matter. What should matter is they're undefeated, they're undefeated, put them on, on the field together. They're both really good. Let them prove who's the better team. And that's why we love sports. If we already decide before the games even start in August that Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma are the four best teams this year, then why do we do the season? Like, why do we care so much about all these games? And a lot of this will be solved once the playoff goes to 12 teams. But in this four-team playoff, really invitational format, you're never going to satisfy everybody, but Ohio State and Cincinnati are on the outside looking in. Oregon Oregon could be leapfrogged. I, I don't get it. It's, you know, if, if they went out and, and win the Pac-12, 
like I guess they're in, but that Stanford loss is really bad, but the Ohio State win is really good. But if de- depending on how Ohio State and, and Notre Dame end, you could say is a, is an undefeated Cincinnati team more is is an undefeated Cincinnati team better than a one loss Oregon team? Even because is yes, Oregon has to play the Pac twelve schedule. They beat Ohio State on the road. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame on the road. But that Stanford loss is huge, and these games have to matter. And Bama losing at Texas A&M as huge favorites didn't seem to matter in in this ranking. I think that's confusing a lot of people and a lot of fans. You know, you know, I think Bama's the best team. Should they have been ranked three and Michigan State two because Michigan State's undefeated? Maybe, sure. You know, the two three doesn't really matter so much because they're going to play each other in the semifinal anyway, but this is what the college football does so well is that they get people talking about it. They get people upset. They get people to care about these rankings when they're going to do seven more of these things before the, before the fluff actually happens. But it's, it's always, it's always, always chaos in college football. We just haven't seen it yet. And there are games coming up that may decide that Purdue plays Michigan state, Purdue going big game hunting again, after knocking off Iowa, Purdue gets a chance for Michigan State, and they get a chance for Ohio State later this this year as well. But the Big Ten gauntlet is not done yet. Pac-12 is always crazy. Pac-12 after dark, and if Cincinnati Cincinnati just just keep taking care of business, keep winning by by margins. The SEC is so tough that Bama could lose again, and then and then we're potentially looking at a top four of Georgia, Oregon, Big Ten team. And maybe two Big Ten teams and and Cincinnati or or Oklahoma, but Oklahoma seems to have figured out the quarterback situation. So I think with that settled, they may get some more love in next week's rankings. But a lot to talk about. We'll, we'll talk about next week's rankings when they come out. Um, and then after the break, we talk to my friend J.R. Bascom about Succession. We're gonna do this every week: college football rankings at the beginning, Succession at the end. So, uh. If you haven't watched Succession, now is the time to to pause, turn off the turn off the episode, and uh, I'll hit the music and come back with the Succession episode three recap. All right, joining me now on the line, my friend and fellow Succession diehard fan, J.R. Bascom. He's at an undisclosed location in in lower Manhattan, saving the world every day. But this is his real passion in life, is breaking down succession. And we're going to do it on the pod every week until the end of season three. Three episodes in, a lot has happened. JR, how are you feeling about the Roy family at the current moment? You know, turmoil and chaos doesn't cover it. There was, everybody was trying to plan to flag this last episode. I don't think anybody's flag is upright. I think everybody lost overall. I mean, Kendall's crying in a server room. Mm-hmm. The FBI is raiding the company. Shiv is running in circles and is less coherent than where Roman is, which is, you know, the flip-flop of the century. I don't think they're in a good place. I think they could use family counseling like back in, uh, I believe it was season two. Yeah, that the well, well, family counseling didn't work. They have too many uh, issues as as a family, and and the biggest issue we saw 
was exactly what you said. Everyone is trying to figure out what to do. The FBI is looming over this whole episode about are they going to come? What's Logan going to do? Are they going to let them in? And then the biggest thing that the, the takeaway for me is, is Kendall okay? Like he just does not seem okay. Yeah, Kendall's kind of like, he's kind of like a kid on Christmas. Like, he doesn't know which present to open, so he's just bouncing back and forth. The ADD is in full force. He probably didn't sleep the night before. He had too many sugar cookies, and he's just, he's all over the place. I actually left the episode more confident in Kendall than when the episode started, because even though he's pretty much at rock bottom, I think everybody else in the family is is further rock bottom than him. I mean, he he has, most importantly, he has cousin Greg on his side, which, as we know, is the most important person. And yep. if you don't know, listeners of the Double Double, Dave did dress up as cousin Greg for Halloween. It was a big hit. Quite, it was a, big, it was a hit. big hit. Of course it was a big hit. You're you, and cousin Greg is cousin Greg. That's the, that's the meeting of the century. But Kendall is... He lost like everybody else lost, but he lost the least bad, if that makes sense. Like, he had a, a letter written about him, but all in all, he, he's still in a good position. He's outside of the family's investigation about the F, from the FBI. I, I think he's okay, relatively so, to the rest of the Roy family. That could be a hot take, but that's where I sit. It's interesting that, that you say that Kendall has hit rock bottom because he's hit rock bottom a lot in this show as, as a drug addict. We, we, we've seen him uh, relapse in, in season one and spoiler alert though. If you're listening to this part, you already know kill someone on the search for cocaine um, season two. He's, you know, just despondent as, as a person, just, just no, it's like, he's just, nothing is there. When he gutted Walter, just saying, my dad made me do it. You know, just a shell of a human being. And when you watch him in season three, it seems like he's back on cocaine. Just his completely manic behavior. 100%. And he uses all these buzzwords in every conversation that don't actually mean anything. So maybe he is perfect to be the CEO of Waystar Royco because he can say all these really important things or seemingly important sounding things that don't actually have any meaning behind them. But he is all over the place. And what I thought was really interesting is when he's getting roasted by that late night uh, TV show, and everyone at that party is watching him just get roasted. It's super awkward and uncomfortable, but he's loving it because he's because he thinks that he's in the conversation, that all press is good press, and that mm-hmm. by being a part of the conversation is the most important thing because he's never been alone out there by himself before. It's always been as a part of Waystar behind his dad this is independent Kendall and he's struggling he's he's struggling and Jeremy Strong who plays him won the Emmy for best actor for his performance in season two 
the way that they shot that scene where he finds out about the letter and that mm-hmm. the, and that the show is not going to not talk about it and the way that they just turn and show as he walks down that hallway his face just completely change i mean just give him the just give him the emmy already mm-hmm. back to yeah, back he's he's a back to back he he might be a three-peat season 5 we'll we'll have to let us know but He's a he's he's a back to back, especially for that senior spot on Dave. So 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 no. So Kendall, we we know what side he's on. Doesn't seem like he's fully you know. So he's just not okay in in both of our opinions. Now, you mentioned cousin Greg is on his side, but there's a really important scene where he. We don't know exactly what side Greg is on because when Kendall calls him and says, "I'm coming in, in I'm coming into Waystar, I'm coming into the office," Greg calls Tom and lets him know. So are Greg and Tom our favorite buddy cop duo working their own angle here, or is or is Greg trying to play both sides the way he has really the first two seasons of not pissing off his grandfather and the $250 million inheritance he'll get from him, but also trying to ingratiate himself with, with Logan's side of the family. So the, f- the first thing I have to say, the Greg and Tom love story is up there and might be the greatest love story of all time. I mean, it, we it need makes a spinoff. Jack and... It makes Jack and Rose from Titanic look like fighting siblings. I mean, their relationship is so fundamentally flawed, yet beautiful. We don't need a Game of Thrones spinoff. We just need, what, like, just show us what Tom and Greg do just around the office. Like, what when they're out at, at dinner, just have a whole episode just be the two of them at dinner, and people will love it. Yeah, Tom and Greg go to college. Yeah. Tom and Greg go to grad school. <laughs> Tom and Greg adopt a kid. I mean, I want to see it all. I want to see all iterations of their relationship. What I will say, I mean, Greg is, first of all, you're given the opportunity to get $250 million and just walk off into the sunset. Why wouldn't he do that? I mean, you see the family is an absolute dumpster fire. And if... The double double allowed for profanity. I would probably have a couple other expletives to add to that, but it's a dumpster fire. It's understood. He had the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's family friendly here. But he had the opportunity to walk away with two hundred and fifty million dollars, and I don't know. I mean, that's definitely a questionable decision. But we we trust in cousin Greg, Dave. You know, it's... I will say he just he's doing what cousin Greg always does, which is. Whoever is looking the most stable and solid, he he supports, and then he also kind of supports the other people. I mean, he he plays both sides of the field, not well, but effectively. Because what's interesting is, as you said, it's a huge inheritance from his grandfather. But the first thing we see from Greg is Greg's kind of a screw up at the beginning. He's trying to get his life together, and. He sees what a disaster his other side of the family is, where is he thinking to himself, I'm family, but not one of Logan's screw-ups, that I've done everything Logan has asked for me to do so far, that maybe, just maybe, I could take over. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's possible. I mean, everybody else looks like they're in a classic like eight person standoff where they're all gonna shoot each other in the head. Because so then you're kind of left with Greg and Tom. Because Logan knows too much just how his kids are all screw-ups. From Connor to Kendall, he decided not to make it Shiv last last season. Roman is, you know, being Roman and is, is often wherever he is. He, he Roman has, has his own issues, but Tom is really interesting. So Tom, in this episode, his, his big moment was he talks to a lawyer, finds out he's probably going to go to jail, and so he offers to sacrifice himself to Logan. We don't see him talk to the lawyer. And we also don't see him um, react that strongly when he finds out the FBI was raiding the building. Maybe that's because he was with the advertiser dinner. But he remained very calm in that moment. Maybe because he knew it was going to happen. I I could see it. I could see it. I mean, Tom starts off as this like he's a fledgling idiot who yep y- you kind of support but you kind of can't stand and you kind of feel bad for. I mean, you really don't know what to make of him. And he's worked his way into a pretty consistent character who he's really the only person who has voluntarily fallen on the metaphorical sword for the Roy family. He's yeah. offered it multiple times. But he's, I mean, he's working his way up and he doesn't have the baggage of the other kids. I mean... He's at the I top could, now. Like, yeah, a, he's at the top. A, ATN, which is the, the fictional right-wing uh, cable news channel, is, is Logan's favorite thing. And it's also, I think, the thing is it's the part of Waystar that, that makes the most money. And Tom runs uh-huh. that. Like, Tom was off in cruises where all these issues are, and then he gets to go to ATN. Like, that is a huge, huge promotion for Tom, and he's running the moneymaker of of the organization. Yeah, I mean, he he is, what, probably top 10 in the company, but yeah. married to a kid, so he's, you know, he's, he's in the boardroom. He's in the C- C-suite. He, he has metaphorically made it, although... They are getting raided by the FBI, so maybe not the best place to be at the time. But I think we both agree they're gonna they're gonna make it out, out somehow, some way from the FBI raid. So, do you think Kendall and his lawyer were, were able to convince the FBI to raid? Because Kendall, as we mentioned, he goes into that control room or server room, whatever room he was in, at the end of a deserted hallway, and he's just <laughs> shell shocked. But this, but but the episode ends with him smiling at his phone, seemingly watching the raid happen, um, or he's watching himself get made fun of on the TV show. It wasn't exactly clear. Mm-hmm. But the last thing Kendall says before he gets out of his car to go into the show is he's talking to his lawyer, saying, "Can we get the FBI to raid Waystar?" and his lawyer's like, that's not really how this works. But Kendall's has never been told no or has never been told that he can't do something because he's a billionaire. So yeah, maybe yeah, I mean, so maybe he was able to get the FBI. It it tracks, right? So he went into Waystar. He obviously pulled a 
a prank of like a brutal brutal prank what was the song that was playing i'm forgetting it now it was so so obviously at at this point you know not really sports there were murders and rapes and and you know sexual assaults and all these terrible things would happen on cruises and during Shiv's speech and her first speech and appearance in front of the whole company talking about you know how Waystar is going to right the wrongs that happen on cruises, Kendall blasts from speakers all throughout the building, Rape Me by Nirvana, just completely tarnishing that is. Shiv's, Shiv's moment. And it was a brutal, brutal scene to watch, especially after how last episode ended with Kendall saying some not very nice things to, to Shiv. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that was a well, well done, Kendall. I mean, he he threw his sister off of the new horse that she was riding. And just quick side note, for Shiv being the smartest person and working in politics, her reaction, her R was not great. I mean, she just she didn't say anything. She didn't address it. She just kind of stumbled. But back to your original point, Dave. Did Kendall have something to do with the FBI? I think he did. He goes into Waystar. He pulls a prank. But he's in his office. Like, I think he's there. I think he's cleaning stuff up. I think maybe he's planting something. There was something more nefarious than just a prank that he did when he went to Waystar. I don't know what it is. We didn't get a lot of Easter eggs. We didn't get a lot of hints at what it is. But I think... I think for being as broken as he is, he's still a fairly good poker player. Yeah. And I think he game planned something out. I think that's why he's smiling at the end, looking at his phone. I think, yeah, I I, I think he had a hand in it one way or another. And I think he, he out chessed them, if you will. Now, as we head into episode four, Battle, you know, Kendall keeps talking about battle stations, but really it's it's battle lines. We we see the teams emerging. It's it's Kendall's side and Logan's side, and then the middle. But all the siblings so far, Roman, Shiv, Connor, have all stuck with Logan. Do you see any of them potentially going against Logan? Maybe not joining Kendall, but doing their own thing against Logan because it's not like he treats them very well. I mean, the heartbreaking moment of this episode was Roman doing that that TV sh- uh, show, talking about his favorite childhood memory with Logan, his dad. Logan making fun of him for his emotions, and then Roman revealing that the fishing trip was with his older brother Connor and not his dad. Like, Roman has no happy childhood memories with Logan. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. I, I agree that it's it's battle lines. Uh, the one thing I will say, there's with Kendall or with Logan, and I don't think any of the siblings fall into either camp. I don't think they're with Kendall, but I think they're not with Logan either. I just don't think they're for Kendall. I think they're okay. secret option C. I think they're yep. secret option C because they went to Kendall's apartment or his ex-wife's apartment. I beautiful, beautiful apartment. Gorgeous. Dave, any day you want, 
all split rent with you. That place was was a a hotel mixed with a mansion mixed with elegance. It was beautiful. It was like it was like a six bedroom penthouse. It was it was insane. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll pool our pennies together to get there. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so I don't think they're with Logan, but I don't think they're for Kendall. I think they're off in secret option C. And the reason I say that is because they went to the apartment. Uh-huh. They didn't just go to convince Kendall to stand down. They didn't just go to make sure he was okay. They were there because it's, you know, it's a power grab. And each of them has shown cracks in their in their foundational support with Logan. Yep. So I think what we're going to see, I think you're going to have Logan on one side. And I think things are going to get bad when the FBI starts prying. The kids who are with, or quote unquote, with Logan right now are going to see that he's going to throw them all under the bus. So I think you're going to have Logan in one camp. I think you're going to have Kendall in one camp. And then I think I think maybe Shiv and Roman join forces as, as a third battle line. I mean, I think Connor's pretty irrelevant. He just kind of bounces around. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think it's just a two-person or a two-camp war. I, I think it expands because nobody really likes Logan. No. I do wish Connor was still running for for president because that because that gave him a, a real purpose, you know, um, a purpose, a direction in life. As as you said, he's 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 wandering right now, and so I was really curious because I love Alan Ruck back from when he was in Ferris Bueller playing Cameron, you know, he's just he's just hysterical, and what he what he would do the, those campaign events for for president talking about a no tax system. He, he he's just incredible. Um, I'm very excited to see what happens. The little s- snippet preview we got is Adrian Brody is guest starring next week. You know, a casual best actor Oscar winner is just dropping in. Unclear how many episodes he's going to be on for, but there will be a summit, it seems like, between Kendall and Logan. What are your expectations for next week? You know... Uh, that's 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 the question right now. I think I think Logan. Hmm, I think Logan's scared right now, so I don't think Logan's going to offer an olive branch to Kendall to support Kendall taking over the company. But I think in that summit, I mean everything's starting to crack around him. I think Logan comes as much as he can with his tail between his legs and he tries to bring Kendall back in. I think he does. I think he has to because he has pressure from the FBI. He has pressure from Kendall. He knows that his kids are kind of looking elsewhere. So there are too many cracks in his line. And I think he's going to try to bring everybody back together. I don't think it's going to work. Interesting. I think it's, I think it's going to, End in typical Roy family fashion with, you know, everybody coming together for maybe like a scene or two and then all hell will break loose. I mean, everybody's going to go in every direction. And I think we're going to end for an action packed episode next week. But yeah, I, I think I think I think Logan extends an olive branch. I think that's his only play. So one of the, my favorite parts about this show and. I think a lot of people too is the sets and the the places where where they film 
and how it's just they go all over the world and it's you know these mansions and castles and yachts on the mediterranean you know and i'm excited because of the covid pandemic they they delayed filming and i don't think they did as much travel this year but it looks like that we're going to be on location somewhere with adrian brody for a part of this this episode which as much as i love the scenes in manhattan uh this is you're watching rich people and do rich people things and one thing that rich people do is take helicopters to these private jets to take them to these beautiful remote places and so i'm very excited to to get back to that but what you said i don't think logan is going to bring kendall back into the fold he hates kendall he wanted to punch him in the face last episode um i don't think he can fit that in one episode maybe later into the season but I think that this is going to be a meeting where Adrian Brody's character has to be some type of shareholder, some type of really important player that that we haven't seen that um, maybe he's trying to figure out what side he's on so he knows who to back in this. Because I think it's going to come down to a, another proxy shareholder battle with Stewie and and Kendall's, and, and, and Kendall's uh, goal from season one. I think that will come back. But as you said, someone's going to jail, and it may be all of them, and maybe that's where they all should be, because these are all just horrible people, and so they're, they're, maybe they all should go to jail. Dave. Except, except Dave, Dave, Greg, except cousin Greg. Yeah. Don't, 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 well, don't get, uh, don't get sour on cousin Greg. Well, on me. the core Roy five are just yeah. dreadful, dreadful people, and oh, they're they're, they're scum. And, you know, nothing better describes or just shows that in, like, a not, you know, bad way, but just in a way of, like, nothing has ever applied to them is when Kendall asks if he could go see the writers and on that on, on the late night show and the and the PA just says, no, we we don't do it. We're, we're going live in five or ten minutes. He's like, no, no, it's it's cool. And he just goes to find them. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, no, he, he really did not listen <laughs> So anyway, action-packed episode three, disruption, succession, looking forward to – oh, the, the last thing we have to mention is Greg buying a $40,000 watch. Thoughts? You know, if you had $250 million, $40,000 would be nothing, but he, he did not gameplay that out properly. Um, and, and it broke. That was, that was the saddest part was the watch broke. For for a guy yeah. for a guy who said he was super self conscious about his wrists, having a broken watch on your wrist is not going to help that that anxiety. Yeah, that that metaphor just <laughs> brings far. I mean, I feel like Greg represents a traditional person who isn't from New York, moves to New York, and spends like a couple weeks to a couple months. For Greg, it might be the rest of his lifetime just like figuring out how New York works and Greg is not there. I mean, look, he has a beautiful rags to riches story. He started off throwing up in a theme park after smoking weed in a, I don't even know what that costume was. No, 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 no. He told his mom someone broke into his car and, and smoked the weed. Remember it, it wasn't him. Yeah, and I told my mom that my teachers weren't being fair in math class when I got to see. I mean, we all tell little white lies to our parents, Dave. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole more. But 
he has a great rags to riches story. He's now the chief of staff for Tom, or who knows what that actually means. But he's he's at an upper management position yes. at ATN. Which which But he just which is, he does not know his New York self. It is just fun but somewhat concerning to watch, especially pun intended when he buys a forty thousand dollar watch. I'm I'm very excited for for him to leave ATN because it is against his values. It does not make him feel good, and that that's like my third or fourth thing that I'm rooting for this season. Is just is great to be happy at work, finding an environment. Maybe it doesn't exist at at Waystar, of of just finding a department that's not a criminal enterprise, and then um, not against his values. Because he is the only one on the show with morals. So we, we, we support him and we support that. Looking forward to the episode Sunday nights, HBO. What time are the episodes? Uh, 9, 10? I have... they, they get released at 9 Eastern. Okay. I don't know about you. It's always a little frustrating because it's always like 9.05. Like I sit there for five minutes like an idiot. <laughs> I'm just, I want to watch and it's not popping up. And I got my popcorn, and I got my ice cream, and I got my chips. Yeah, it's a Sunday night. I treat myself a little uh-huh. bit. And, it, and you know, I just sit there eating for five minutes, kind of frustrated. And then it starts, and all is right in the world, Dave. And then the theme song hits, and it's just, you just know that you're in for a 55-minute treat. JR, always a pleasure. We'll do this again next week, breaking down Season 3, Episode 4 of Succession. The best show on TV. The best show on TV. It's got love. It's got family strife. It has intrigue. And most importantly, David Dixon. It's got Greg. It has who you dressed up for Halloween, Cousin Greg. It has Greg. Talk to you next week. Later, my friend.